Hey, Steve here from Launch Notes. So I'm the head of our Slack community, Launch Awesome, and today's episode is a recording of an AMA we did with the community. We do these AMAs every few weeks with thought leaders in the product space, and if you want to join an upcoming AMA and get your own questions answered, you should check it out. You'll find a link in the show notes, or you can just Google Launch Awesome, and it'll come right up. Enjoy the show. Just want to say good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to this month's Launch Awesome AMA. I'm Steve, and I run the Launch Awesome community. Uh, our guest today is Graham Reed, who is the head of product ops at Cobalt.io. Um, so yeah, today, me and Graham are going to be talking about Graham's experience standing up product ops at his last two jobs. We'll kind of open it up for questions. Um, if it's your first time joining us, so these AMAs, they're put on by the Launch Awesome community. Uh, Launch Awesome is a Slack community for product folks. So PMs, PMMs, product ops, product ops people, uh, you know, just to talk about the strategies, tactics, pro tips that we all use to build and launch great products and build great product teams as well. Um, I feel like startup community stuff in general kind of fell off uh, with the pandemic and then never really came back, you know, even as, you know, most of life kind of got back to normal. And this community is kind of a way to, I don't know, help you get your, get your fix um, of startup and product stuff um, if you work in product at startups. Um, so we got about 600 product leaders and product uh, kind of managers, marketers, ops people in there now. If you want to join, Blake's going to drop a link in the chat. Uh, and you can apply to join there. Uh, if you have questions throughout, uh, you can hit H, raise your hand. There's a Q&A widget. We can kind of tackle them at the end. Uh, we'll just kind of figure it out as we go. And with that, let's get into it. Graham, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, totally. Uh, just to kind of set the stage, I always like to have people give me the, the two-minute highlight reel of your career, just so people kind of know where you're coming from. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, you know, in, in that two minutes, uh, I've been I've been in product for about 12, 13 years now. So started off uh, as uh, an entry level product manager, didn't really know what I was doing, learn it all on the job, um, was my way up, gained more experience to uh, be a lead product manager, head of product management um, at a couple of different companies. Um, and then about two, two and a half years ago, um, really started to understand a lot more uh, and getting a lot more to uh, how products Managing how product management actually works in terms of, uh, you know, the the, the nuts and bolts of it, um, and really trying to focus on improving that. So I've done a lot of product management, built products, built fantastic products. Now I'm a lot more interested in how do we do this as a as a as an art form? How do we do this as a discipline? Um, and and as we start to get into it, you know, my last company we we formed a product operations team and we didn't actually know it was product operations at that point. Um, we, it was only as I started Googling and found out, oh yeah, actually what we're doing is this. And actually the name that we came up, we fitted quite well um, and, and kind of really have, have gone on from, from there and just super, super focused on, you know, that as a function, how do we do product management uh, rather than the, 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 the building of those products and, and, and selling of them and everything else like that. So yeah, that's, yeah. You know, that's me. Yes, cool. Yeah, that's funny. Um, I feel like, you know, the stuff in product ops, it's not, um, I feel like it's making um, making explicit a lot of practices that have been around in kind of product management forever, giving a title to it, giving a name to it. Um, so yeah, I love that. Love where you're, how you're kind of thinking about that. Um, okay, let's kind of start with your, your first bout of doing product ops stuff. Uh, was it your previous company, I believe, LearnLight? Talk yeah. to us a little bit about the situation there. You were so you were actually the head of product there, and you moved over to product ops. What was kind of going on with the company that you thought like, hey, this this is a move that makes sense for us and the, you know the company as a whole? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I joined LearnLight through going through kind of a period of, of a lot of transition. Um, they didn't have uh, a head of product management for quite a while, so I came in really to kind of shake things up. I had a lot of people on the team that were very passionate product managers but we're also quite junior uh you know many of them had kind of only worked at that company a lot of them have been kind of former trainers just to be clear learn uh, main asset was language training and learning um so a lot of them have been trainers for language learning um and and moved into uh, an engineering or product management type role um so the the formality of, of doing product management you know really wasn't there a lot of these people were kind of making things up as they go along like most of us do when we first enter the discipline um 
So firstly, I was brought on board to kind of just lead product management, get the function of product management uh, kind of back up and running in terms of the products and projects we were working on. Um, and the, the more we went through this, um, you know, th there was a, a real uh, need to kind of go back to basics, uh, really kind of formalize actually what LearnLight, uh, product management at LearnLight was all about. Um, like everything, it's different for every business. Everybody ha has its own tweaks. And the thing that LearnLight really had missed out on was kind of formalizing actually what it meant for that, that company and business. About the same sort of time, the company was kind of really thinking, uh, you know, about how uh, it wanted to do product management uh, and its interaction with the rest of the business. Um, because mm. the primary asset of what we sold at LearnLight wasn't the software at all. It was actually the, the language courses and things like that. The software was just a byproduct uh, you know, of that, something that the customers used and interacted with. And so what happened was is we actually decided to split the product function up into the different areas of the, the business. I mean, looking at training, some in looking at the internal operations, some looking at customer focused things. Um, and so actually the product managers were integrated into those, those, those teams to work with specifically on their products. Uh, and then what we formed was what we then called a product operations team to actually look at how do those people work? How do they interact with the rest of the business? What are the, um, what's the data and metrics that they are, are going to be most, uh, are going to be most useful to them and really start to, uh, just bring everything back to basics and say, right, how is it we should be doing product management and using all of these these core skills? Okay. And it's interesting okay. for, for something you said earlier, which really resonated right at that time as well, which was uh, years ago before product operations was a was a thing. You know, product managers did all of this themselves. I, I've been a product manager of one, looking after three or four different products, very different products, all at the same time, and we just did all of this. We we, we cobbled through. Um, as product management over probably the last 10 years has become such a, a much more um, uh, important role, uh, a much better recognized importance of the role in many businesses, we've really started to hone in on actually, look, we need to get back to basics for product management as well. We need to let the product managers manage the products, not be so focused on how do they do it? How do they improve the way that they're doing? How do they get access to all of these weird and wonderful tools that make their lives so much better? They can access them, and they and we can enable the access to them. But but previously, it was all about well, you need to actually go and do that. You need to go and make the process. You need to go and and, and invest in the technology, and then also yeah. do your day job as well. And so, here, product operations has really then started to, as among, among many other things, started to now fill that gap of enabling all of that. And that's exactly what we were looking for at you know at LearnLight. Yeah. Did you find that? Did you find that any Anything was breaking down in particular at LearnLight, or maybe even kind of like more broadly, like what are the first what are the first kinds of things that generally break down at companies as they start as they start to grow? Communication gets harder, you know, coordination of processes get harder. Like what was happening at LearnLight that it felt like, okay, now's the time we really need to rethink how we're working because stuff is falling through the cracks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you've, you've mentioned the, the, the top ones there, communication uh, between product and the rest of the business. And, re and really, you know, with product being that, that front facing part of the technical side of the business as well, you know, the whole tech side of the business was was uh, had lost a bit of confidence, uh, you know, from, from the rest mm. of the business, you know, their confidence, the trust in what the team was working on, what it was producing. Um, it's fair to say, you know, that, that uh, you know, LearnLight was undergoing a, a big technical transformation as well at the time. So they had a, a, a very established technical product, but it was very, it was really aging. Um, they had, they were very late on producing and building and releasing a brand new version of the software that was consuming mm -hmm. everybody's time and attention. So as a consequence mm -hmm. to that, to allow the business to keep running, there was a huge demand to keep improving that system as well as boot this new one and you know there was just not enough time and resource to do all of that together so as a consequence you know that, that communication had really broken down with the rest of the business it was it had become an incredibly sales-led business as well so it, you know it was going after every opportunity rather than letting the you know the the, the great product and service that we had seen for you know itself um 
and 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 ultimately, you know, that that communication just wasn't you know there and in place. Um, we didn't know what we were you know going after. We didn't know any of the metrics behind what we were doing. We didn't know whether we were succeeding or failing in what we were producing. We didn't know. Uh, uh, we didn't have a real kind of north star of, of of what we were trying to produce, other than just keep building what people ask you to you know to build and and produce and 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 enabled for us to to win customers. So. You know, there was there was a lot there to to kind of unpick, but you know, at headlines it really was down to you know that communication, that coordination. Like, unlike a little bit of where I am now at Cobalt, actually at Learnlight we were quite a close knit um, product team, uh, technical team. Um, we were all following largely the same you know agile principles. You know, we were all doing uh, you know our product management in roughly the kind of the same way across the kind of the different teams. Um, it was really that um, lack of transparency, that lack of understanding from the rest of the business or, or to the rest of the business that was really missing. And that's, an, you know, that was an area mm. that we really had to had to focus on quite quickly um, through, you know, just through, through a lot more communication, through a lot more honesty, a lot of stand ups, a lot of um, working with those middle level managers, um, which I think is quite often a piece that's that's overlooked. You know, we talk a mm. lot in product operations around you know, making sure that we communicate, that we open, you know, that communication is really good there. Mm-hmm. But what's often overlooked is, is who are we communicating to and with what information? Um, the, the, in some respects, there's not a huge amount of point in really going to, to town, you know, in the, in the terms of the detail to senior leadership team. They want the highlights, but they're not the ones that are going to action anything that needs to happen. Um, they are not necessarily always the best people to cascade that information uh, down to, to to their teams, which absolutely, I, I you know, we did find at Learn like quite quite heavily. Um, mm-hmm. It was looking it was looking to work with those people that had the most impact of what we were doing, what we were building, what we were releasing, what were the things they needed to be aware of, what were our release dates, what were our release plans, um, you know, what support did we need from the rest of the business to help make these launches successful. Um, and it was really working a lot with that middle management layer that that was the uh, catalyst for a lot of our improvements and changes as well. Interesting. Okay. Okay. A couple, yeah, a couple follow-ups on that. You'd mentioned um, the business had kind of lost confidence at, in the product team. There was a breakdown of some communication and, and maybe it's all these, but, but were they mostly about um, like, the rest of the business not knowing what's shipping, not confident they're shipping the right things, not knowing after the fact if those things have been like successful in producing the outputs that they were intended to produce or talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, you're right. The elements elements of all of the above. I think the biggest thing really was that um, there was a there was a plan from upon high to really double down and focus on you know the new product uh that you know that we would we, be working on for so long um mm-hmm. that hadn't wasn't necessarily being cascaded down so it's not necessarily a piece that, that there was complete discommunication between the rest of the business and the technical side of the business it wasn't them and us um you know there was breakdowns largely across the board um the, there was a desire from on high to have that you know, push forward. But at the same time, those people on the ground in the particularly new operations and sales departments were still saying, you know, well, this is all lovely and great, but until we've got that, we need to keep selling this product. We need to keep having a product that is that is working, that is um, sellable, that is attractive compared to our, you know, quickly coming up uh, competitors as well. Um, so there was that breakdown. There was that misalignment between actually what the product is doing yeah. uh, and what the company wanted the product team to do. We were taking our orders and we were delivering, but actually what was also missing was that storytelling as well to say, look, here's the story of what we're doing. We are, mm-hmm. you know, doubling down on this. These are all the advantages we have uh, that this is going to bring us. So how do we, mm-hmm. how do we do this? And uh, alongside that as well was a lack of, um, uh collaboration uh, and what i mean by that there was a lack of collaboration between all of those you know those teams those leads across the whole business to pull together uh you know on, on, on the situation that we are in it was not a great situation we were where we were and we were so far down a path that we just we just had to keep moving forward with it uh to get to to the end of where we needed to be the company was still in a great position still earning well still you know top of the market of where it was 
We just needed mm-hmm. to kind of get through this this position that we'd found ourselves in. Um, and what was also missing was, you know, was that we you know, look, let's all pull together on this. How do we, uh, you know, work? We don't have a choice. We have to keep down this this road. We we we'll keep maintaining what we've got to a certain extent. But how do we? How do we tell this story together? How do we make this story together? Um, and how do we yep. all align to it rather than, you know, the product didn't come out of a story and everybody else complaining about it or, or not aligning to it or just constantly coming back to us saying, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I need this. This customer is going to leave. So we don't have this, that and the other, which I'm sure everybody in the product space, you know, knows very, yes. very well. Yep. Talk to, okay. So love that. That's great. Talk to me about some like specific, I don't know, uh, specific programs or specific communication rituals or planning processes or communication processes, et cetera, that you, that you guys tried, that you implemented and, and what were the like effects of them yeah. doing that? So one of the first things that um, we spent a little bit of time on was producing uh, what I, what I called product hub. So this was, uh, yeah, it, it was built in confluence. It was uh, a set of pages that pulled together the important information so we're talking product updates uh project and and and, and okr updates you know where are we are on the project timeline and things like that put it all together in a space that is easily accessible so this is nothing new per se you know all teams all companies have these products have all these documentation spaces of course they do but they're ridiculously large they're quite often very unorganized. Organized. They've been built and built upon for years. So what we really needed was, look, this is your one-stop shop to go and get everything that you need right now, that you need every day or every week, that actually you're going to mm-hmm. refer to quickly. Uh, and that key information, that key elevator pitch type information, alongside our analytics that we were now starting to make much more public uh, within the, the business, as well as what are some of our self-service forms and things like that that we can start to 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 implement and produce. Alongside, you know, with all of this, with all of this um, noise, all of this communication about kind of where is it and we want all of this and things like that, you know, there was a lot of communication that was also then being lost in all of that. Some of these really great feature ideas, some of these things that we could really hit really quickly. And they and that noise was just drowning out all of the things that we could actually kind of do. So it, it, it learned that we were using Teams and just chat after chat, channel after channel was just, you know, endless, you know, mix match of, of requests and ideas and things like that. So alongside all of this, we started to you know put various different channels in place, channels of communication mm-hmm. using forms that, that put things directly into our Jira projects uh, or, or, or our ClickUp projects as we were, we were starting to experiment with as well to start to formalize this, to audit this, to allow these inf- this information to be collected. And as well, mm-hmm. to formalize that collection process. So one of, the, one of my biggest bugbears when I was a product manager as well, was absolutely, um, you get all these ideas, whether it be on an email or Teams or back in the day, Skype and things like that. And they'd be like, wouldn't it be great if we had this? Yeah, it would. But where's the value? Where's the value to the customer? Where's the value to us? How many customers are asking for this? How many, What's the impact? How confident are you? You know, all these same sort of questions that actually the product teams will always be asking themselves, all these sorts of frameworks of questions and things like that. Mm. The best people to answer these questions is the people that are asking them. And quite often the sales teams, customer service teams, people like that. Because not Mm. only should they know that information, if they're going to be suggesting it, it puts an amount of responsibility on them as well to be making these things. Gone should be the days of, throwing these requests over the fence and right, it's now a product's problem. I've, I've made the suggestion. Now you go and build it and, and you find out all the information. No, 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 no. We all work here together. We should all be working on the same uh, team or on the same lines, on the same pulling in the same direction. So you have to be making suggestions that make sense for the business, not just because a customer has asked and you don't want to say no, not just because this customer is threatening to leave us and you're going to go and do everything possible to try and keep them. We need mm-hmm. to assess this properly in a formalized way. And so the great thing about these forms that we've, that we've put onto as part of this very quick access 
product pieces about incoming communication as well to say, mm-hmm. okay, what is it you want? Now justify it to us. If you can justify it, fantastic. You know, it goes onto our backlogs. We'll, we'll, we will do all the usual product management things with it, but you can't just go, get, you know, put, put these things to us. And this might sound quite, you know, uh, adversarial a little bit, you know, like quite, quite confrontational, but I think that product teams really do need to, you know, push back. They are, they do have this responsibility on the products uh, to make sure that they are successful. Um, if they're building things that are not going to add value just because the salesperson has asked for it, then they're not doing their job right. So how can we make sure that they are doing their job right with a million other things that they are trying to do? How can we automate some of this? How can we push some of these questions, some of these roles and responsibilities out to the rest of the business. And this is, you know, this was one way to to achieve that. And, mm-hmm. you know, we found tremendous amount of uptake in Product Hub, in the usage of these new processes that we were putting in place. People saw the value. And importantly, because these requests, these, these uh, suggestions, these things like that were being responded to, were being listened to, there was interaction with them, which really wasn't happening too well before. The trust started to come back mm. just by communicating yeah. and by collaborating, by opening up, you know, the direction of the product, by opening up uh, these suggestions and saying, well, you know, what do you think about what we should do next? The trust was starting to come back to what the product team was doing because people had an amount of shared ownership and they saw that these these people uh, and quite often forgetting that they were people themselves were actually there doing a good job um, and, you know, and, and ultimately listening to what they were saying. Yes. Yeah. Love that. God, in startups, yeah, there's just so many, there's so many opportunities. I feel like startups maybe die more from bloat from just building every request that comes in than from having too much focus. So yeah, I love that. Okay. I, I, we covered a lot there and I think that's kind of like the gold of this talk. It's like, what are the what are the specific programs implemented there? So, okay, I want to kind of list these out. Okay, so first one was around just kind of formalizing this collection, um, this like customer feedback collection process. Tell me like a little bit more about that. Part of that you you had mentioned um, having folks almost kind of like enrich this feedback with more context around like. Uh, you know who these people are. Like, why does it? Why does this make sense strategically? Like, what are the what are the right questions that you want to have sales? Yes. What are, what is the right context that you want sales and support to be adding to feature requests such that it can be used uh, effectively? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, so you know we need that we need basic you know information about this. You know. Who has requested this? You know, and, and forgive me to everyone on the call. You know, we're all being product professionals. You know, teaching you to suck eggs, but you know, these things are quite often overlooked. Who is requesting this? What's the value behind this? You know, in monetary terms, you know, very very simple pieces of information. How many customers have asked you know for this? We will get so much requested to us that we have to start put, you know prioritizing and even validating this you know uh from we using very very simple metrics um before we even get there you know when we start to look at the information that, that gets supplied to us what we should be doing is we should be validating this very simply to say is this sensible is this reasonable for us to do and do we have a hope in hell chance of actually achieving this within the next 12 months? If you're not going to achieve it in the next 12 months, there's no point even kind of keeping it on your, on your board. Maybe archive it away somewhere because things are going to change so much in that period of time. And 12 months, and many people will say 12 months is even too long. I think 12 months is sensible if you're considering this as an idea, something that you know we'll refer back to. And we need to keep referring back to these items as well. Um, certainly where we're at Cobalt now, we have a great hygiene process in terms of looking at these items and then coming back to them. We have a process whereby an idea is very quickly accepted or rejected based upon those three criteria. Um, and then it sits in an ideas board. And every three months, the ideas board holistically is then reviewed to say, right, here's all the things that we accepted previously. I'm now going to go through them and essentially compare them and just say, well, 
that idea over there, yeah, still love it. Really great thing that we're going to come back to probably in six hours. That idea there, we love it. But you know what? There's so many other great ideas on here that we could fill two backlogs with. I'm just going to bin this one off. We're going to reject this one after the fact because actually now we're keeping good things live for us to go back to, to, to build our roadmaps and our strategy from. Um, and if they're just not realistically ever going to get done, it's not a palatable thing to think about, but it's just the truth. We have to bin them off. So coming mm -hmm. back to what are those questions we want to ask? So we've got those basic logistics things. Then we really do need to start diving into where's the value? Okay. Now, value is a great question because, and I was at a product operations festival online yesterday. We were talking a lot about this. Um, value for the company is a is a fairly easy thing to do. And sorry, I should say that I, I term value as two things. It's value to the customer and value to the company. Value to mm -hmm. the company or business is a fairly easy thing. It's money. It's more, more users, more subscriptions or retention largely can be filled into those sort of things. Um, and of course, you've got kind of happiness and NPS scores and things like that that go with it. Value to the customer is sometimes quite a much more difficult thing to do. And depending on your business, your individual business, what it is you sell, that value can be, can be different. It doesn't actually matter what you define value is, as long as it's something that you can compare like for like. So if you determine value for your business and your Netflix, the value to you is <laughs> subscriptions, ultimately. How many people mm -hmm. are subscribing? How many repeat pe uh, people are coming back time and time again? Um, mm -hmm. That's not the same as Amazon because they're actually they're looking for how many people are purchasing on their platform. It's still money, but actually what is the mm -hmm. value to the individual, the, the individual customer? Um, as long as you can compare like for like, that's how you then can start to prioritize and determine what it is that you should, be, should and shouldn't be doing. So we need to drill into what is the value of this feature to the customer? What is it going to do for them? Is it going to save them time? Is it going to save them money? Is it going to improve their efficiency? Is it going to improve their own sales of their own products, depending on what it is that you're, that you're providing? Um, mm -hmm. Who's going to know that? Yes, arguably, you as the product teams are doing your research into your preferred market. And that only really works on, you know, if you've got a quite a defined, well-defined um, or niche market. If you have quite a multi-ranged multi uh, company that, you know, that, that, that works with lots of different business sectors, it can be quite difficult to kind of define that. So totally. you need to understand what that value is to that individual uh, person. Um and the best person to do it is going to be the people that are talking to those customers themselves, those ones that want those features. So there will be sales teams. There will be customer support teams, arguably a little bit of marketing as well, maybe. They're the best people. They're talking to them, the customers already. So get them to be talking to them and, and, and defining that value. Get them to be doing that as part of the submission process. Don't waste people's time on either side by not gathering that. Um, and it puts that 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 emphasis back on those people as well. And so, really talking about kind of you know putting the the emphasis on the sales teams to be finding this 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 sort of information out um, because they have a shared responsibility in there. Um, one thing I really drill into the companies I work with is look, we're all in this together. You need to think about what you're submitting. You need to. Um, take responsibility to say, look, if I'm going to submit this, I really believe that this is something that we should do. Again, none of this chucking it over the fence and just, well, I'll, I'll, I'll submit everything that somebody asked me. If you were in charge, salesperson, whoever it's, or whoever it's going to be, um, what would you choose to do? What would you choose to do next? What are you going to weigh up? Product teams, mm -hmm. technical teams have a finite amount of uh, resource to be able to build anything. So I'm quite happy mm -hmm. for you to help prioritize these things. Um, but you have to you know, be making sure that you're submitting things that you genuinely believe are going to add benefit to this company and to the customers. And if it's not, you need to consider whether uh, you uh, you should even be submitting this. You need to be, uh, you know, taking that responsibility as much as anybody. Um, so that's the importance then of, of coming right back to where we started with this is having these really well-defined processes, these really well-defined uh, forms, surveys, questions, uh, that people need to answer to supply product teams with the right information and to ensure that that's uh, quite well enforced 
um, across the business. Uh, and that's yeah. and that's absolutely in the domain of product operations. Yes. Yeah, love that. I think there's a lot of good intention around from sales and from support um, when they're submitting, you know, when they're submitting requests. Uh, I think, you know, they just kind of haven't often been in the in the PM seat and they don't know that, hey, it's, you know, it's great that you want to help and you're kind of chucking stuff over the wall. But like, we have so many different, we have so many options to consider. Like, um, we need this extra, this extra info, this extra context about um, this request if we're going to make good use of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, parts of the, um, to go way back a little bit. Okay, one of the things that you'd started talking about uh, when you were talking, starting to talk about the product hub thing that you had built was around this idea that, um, hey, you know, companies have been doing this for kind of ever. You know, most companies have kind of had this place somewhere in their internal docs or wherever um, that they're trying to centralize a lot of this stuff around what they're doing. And it tends to just not get well used. And I think a lot of it is that it's it's almost, it's as much maybe more of a people problem than a, than a tooling problem sometimes. Um, if that makes sense, it's like a people and practices problem. Um, curious if you have any um, kind of like specific tips on like levels of fidelity, proper cadences to communicate this, like the right kinds. Do you get kind of where I'm going with this question? Yeah. It, it's like, how do, we, how do we communicate in a way that people are actually going to take the time to read it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and th th this is actually a, a superb um, question uh, across the board anyway, because, um, you know, move, moving now into kind of, I, I've done a lot more of this at Cobalt where I am now, um, okay. because uh, communication is, is such an important part. It's, it's, it's what I've always believed as to be the number one most important quality, good quality for Products, product managers, product operations, anybody. Product operations have to be great storytellers. You know, they have to listen. They have to talk about what they're building. They have to inspire. They have to have a, a passion. Even if they don't believe you, they have to exude a passion for what that they are looking to, to to do and believe. Because if they don't, then uh, who else is going to? You know, who else is going to make you know get people excited about this latest thing that we have just built? Um, but hand in hand with that is who is listening to that communication? You could be the most passionate person in the world, but if the other side of it is just not getting what you're talking about, uh, it's it's wasted. So a little bit about what what was happening at Cobalt when I first joined. Um, incredibly, you know, great sets of of engineers um, and, and product people um, were really uh, really. Conf uh, we're really communicating a lot with the rest of the business. Um, we had regular weekly, you know, sprint demos, uh, particularly quite often presented by the engineers themselves. Um, and you know what the, the the what they were talking about was was brilliant. You know, some really great things. The mm -hmm. problem was that what they were communicating, the actual words that they were using, were not resonating mm -hmm. with the rest of the business. And in part because, you know, th th this as a, as a function had not moved on from when the company was 50 people. Uh, 50 people, including you know, all the way from CEO down to kind of support person or, or, or product manager or whoever, you can get away with kind of, you know, so it's a big extended family. When you're at 250 people, it doesn't scale well to hear the engineers talking about they removed 4,000 lines of code and it saved two seconds in a process on a particular page. All the engineers got super excited about this uh, and patted themselves on the back. How does this help salespeople go and sell the products? It doesn't help marketing, you know, or, you know, in, 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 in publishing the latest, uh, you know, report on product on um, uh, uh, pen testing and things like that, which is what we, we are involved in. Um so one thing that I spent quite a lot of time doing is kind of explaining this to the, uh, you know, the teams and really gearing them up to say, look, you need to think about your audience. Who is it that you are talking to and what do they need from you? That's not the same thing as what you want to tell them. It's what is it do they need to hear to do their job? 
we are all here doing full-time jobs. We are all very busy. We are all pushing forward. Um, how how do we enable them to do their jobs uh, and get and take away what they need? So what we did was basically implemented a very simple framework, a three-step process to say anything that you're going to go and talk about on the presentation, uh, in, a, in our Slack channel for product updates, uh, in a new product updates page on our new product hub that we've also built here at Cobol. Mm-hmm. It follows three steps. It says, what was the problem? What we, what were we, why, why are we even doing this? What was the problem that we're trying to solve? What have we built? And why is this awesome? It's a three-step process that means that anybody can understand instantly what it is we have done. You don't have to have requested this problem, uh, this, this 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 solution. You don't have to have been here years to understand in, in, in depth what the product does. You could have turned up yesterday and likely you will get, okay, we had a problem. This is what we've actually done to build it in good, simple terms. I don't care about the engineers and what they have done and how long they took and the testing process behind it. Tell us what it is you've done. And most importantly of all, what why is this awesome? Why does, should people care about this? And why that's important is salespeople, marketers, support people. We have absolute all respect to them. They're not technical people. They don't know and they probably don't care about yes. what we've done. What they do care about is doing their job, which is to sell the product. And so quite often they might not even really understand the product inside and out to what they're trying to do and what they're trying to sell but what they do need is phrasing phraseology they do need snippets uh, of information that they can lift and shift and go and put on a website on a on a document when they're going to do their next sales pitch they need to know oh look this is this is really great you can get to this page and you can get to this page it's so time saving because you've now got a button here to do this and this is the sort of of consideration that we have for, for our user experience blah 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 that mm-hmm. is that they need and it's just so incredibly overlooked to say you need to talk to your talk to your audience not at your audience um of course that's the same across everything that we do but i think in the technical terms we really do like to really go to town and, and show off what we have done um Years ago, I used to, I used to be exactly the same, absolutely, particularly on on data. You know, another big part of product operations, talking about data and analytics. I used to be really, really ingrained into producing loads of dashboards for every contingency, um, because I thought, firstly, people would be interested, and secondly, if I built them, people would be slicing and dicing. They'd go and find the information that they needed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen. It really mm-hmm. doesn't happen. So now we have to be really careful about making sure that the information that we're providing, same like our communication, is appropriate to the audience. What is it they need to do their job? Do, do, do they need to know that? Um, uh, so the, the way that our, uh, an example, the way that our, our platform works, we have uh, a community of pen testers, uh, and we put them together with people that want their software pet being, to have a pen test done to it. Um, and so behind the scenes, we have an engine that make, basically matches all of these people together. We're based on various different characteristics. Um, mm-hmm. Do we do, do, does anybody actually care that apart from one team, that uh, that engine matched 80% correctly last month versus 60% the month before? Apart from one team that actually is doing that, the rest of the business couldn't care less uh, because it's not in their purview doesn't help them sell the product, support the products, do anything else for the product, tell them what they need to know. And so actually we're now tailoring a lot of our information, our pages, our, the work that we do to be audience specific because they have such small amount of time to um, consume this information, to uh, go and find this information out because they're doing full-time jobs, they're doing everything else that is their focus. Um, yes, and that's, that, that's the essence of Product Hub as a whole, is how mm-hmm. do I get information to you quickly, easily, and just the information that you need, not bombard you with what is typically a confluence or a notion that's pages and pages and pages of the whole archive of where the company has gone through and things like that. They just mm-hmm. need to know what they need to get through the day, through the week, and through the month. And that's it. And that is what it does. It just centralizes and focuses on 
that information. If you're, a, if you're a, an advanced user, you can go and dive into all of the history and get what you need. And if you're an advanced user, you probably know how to navigate what is already there anyway. So it's not a massive problem. Yes. Yes. I love that as like a tagline for product ops as a whole is like, how do we do X so that it can effectively be used by the company where X is customer feedback, it's internal communication about what's shipping, it's roadmap planning, it's, you know, all of all of these things. Yeah, that's a great, I love that. Glad we, glad we came to that. It's, it's also a combination kind of, of, you know, the, the, that touch point. So whereas traditionally product managers, you know, in a, in a, in a, Context, you've been kind of this 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 hub on a wheel, you know, controlling information coming in, then to engineers and engineers to back and out to the, the business and being that that central point of any SaaS business. Mm-hmm. Actually, now what we can do is we can move those product managers out, and what we can put in the middle is a function, is a is a tool, is product hub, is it's it's providing a place for information to be deposited and spread out as well as information coming in from the rest of the business filtered combined and then actually going to those right people um it might not always be product managers it might be operationalists it might be uh analysts it might be data people it might be designers um mm-hmm. and what we're now doing is we're not we're now not putting product management right at that center they actually move back they um focus on what they need to and they become a consumer of this information back and forth just like everybody else in the business Mm -hmm. i love that okay man there's a million more things i want to talk about i want to get into some questions phil had had one around measuring the effectiveness of product ops and showing value and then kind of a separate question around when do you feel like um a company needs to start seriously thinking about spinning up the product ops function how do you think about those uh, two great questions phil absolutely um and actually the the first question uh is joe what is a is a question that the entire product ops community is wrestling with right now there there is no easy answer to this because what we do is very um people focused um there are of course things that we can measure so if we put a process in place you know how how often is it used how much has it reduced mm-hmm. the old way that it was doing it? Um, mm-hmm. uh, how many times has a page been viewed? So if we implement our product up, how many times has that page been viewed? Things like that. How have we reduced mm-hmm. down noise in our Slack channels? Things like that. There are mm-hmm. specific success measures that we can put in place. And arguably, mm-hmm. that's what we do for product anyway. We put specific product uh, 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 success metric, uh, metrics in place that are specific to mm-hmm. that. Yeah, of course, absolutely, we do. But um, a lot of it really does to come down to, uh, you know, the trust, the confidence that your that the business has in you. And, you know, an important thing that we have to remember with product operations, which, um, again, is, is really a, a, a point of contention for professionals in this space, is we're here to support the business, interact with product we're not here to support product managers we're here to support the product function and the product function if you're in a SaaS business or anything that has software spans the entire business so we will be here to support the engineering team we will be here to support the sales team and get what they need uh, to have a bespoke process in place maybe that they need to interact with parts of the technical side of the business perfectly within our remit to do we won't turn around to them and just say oh well sorry that's a that's a sales ops uh you know problem to deal with no anything to do with the product and the product function is our business um and so with that you know we do want to measure kind of people's um confidence and happiness mps scores in employee mps scores you know is, is certainly a way of doing it um but certainly looking at what you're replacing. So if you're looking at processes, you're putting new metrics in place, uh, new metrics in place, new processes in place. You look at what is already in place. Um, and if you're really, th- you know, if you think about this, and actually I will admit this, I, I've not done this. Uh, I've required businesses yet. I've been far too quick to kind of want to get in and make the, the low hanging fruit changes that are important is mm-hmm. to take a measurement before, you know, take mm-hmm. the pulse of, what things are like now before you really kind of get to town on it, because that's your that's your baseline. 
Um, and you know that's that's certainly from my experience absolutely something to do if you're going to stand uh, this up or make significant improvements. Um, yeah, you, you is that as easy as like? Just, is that as easy as just like a survey saying, you know, out to everyone saying, uh, on a scale one to ten, how well do we as a company handle customer feedback? Handle you know X Y Z or. Absolutely, it's a it is a survey. Um, I, I'm trying to think who my peer is. Uh, I can't know if it's Jenny Wagner or not. Um, but so I was listening to somebody just recently, another product operations manager, um, who was talking about exactly this. You know, take surveys. Um, it can be as simple as you know, what, what's your feeling of product operations, scale of ones, ten, those sorts of things. I would I would look to be a bit specific. So absolutely take the pulse of how people are feeling about product as a whole, but actually then be quite specific and saying, look, how do you, you're, you're, you're going to work on communications. You're going to work on analytics. Take the pulse of that specific piece. Um, dive into questions. You can use this as a feedback piece as well. So not only can you take the pulse of how people are feeling, but get the feedback on what's missing. Use this as a great opportunity to gather that feedback about what things that people would like to see, what's missing, what's not working well. You can get two for one with that. But it is really as simple as, you know, asking people, taking surveys, things like that. There's no magic tech or magic, magic formula to any of this at all. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry I just going to ask you a question about kind of wh wh at what point to stand up product operations. And, and again, this is yes. a really great question. There's there's huge, there's lots and lots of um, thought process, thought behind this. For me, uh, you know, if you're a startup, you don't need product operations. You know, most most true startups don't even have managers at that point. Um, your first product hire is not product operations, absolutely. Uh, it's not even your second or it's not even your third. Where you do need, where it's of most benefit is going to be where um, you are now starting to need uh, repeatability and formality in what you're doing. So startups can be scrappy. They can just get the job done perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. No problem with that at all. It's at the point whereby, look, you're, you're seeing patterns of uh, inefficiencies. You're seeing patterns of um, you know, things not being done right, missing information, things like that. Basically, wherever you need somebody to come in and check and balance, you know, a supervisor, okay. somebody like that that's not involved in the day to day, but that's going to sit behind the scenes, sit in the rafters and kind of just point at things that, you know, are not working right, that need improvement, things like that. And of course, not being, not, not pointing and saying you're doing that wrong, not at all, but understanding what those things are and then to working to, to make those improvements. Every business is going to be different. Of absolutely, they will be. Um, it's going to depend upon when when the business starts to see and starts to notice those uh, you know those problems starting to arise. Is absolutely the time to come in. Too early, it's wasted. Too late, okay. there's a huge amount to to then start to unpick uh, and, and make improvements on. And it's it's not to say that that's still not important to, to, to you know time to come in, but it just makes that job harder and in between that time imagine all the inefficiencies that are there plus as well um as you scale teams so if you're about to go through a a big scale process you know you're going to hire like so many you know uh, hyper growth businesses do they hire whole rafts of teams product managers product squads that's absolutely the time to be thinking about this as well because mm -hmm. Uh, a common thing with you know with the squad mentality is that you know everybody does things differently you know if it's not controlled and again that's fine in startup scale up world but when you're about to hit that real hyper growth type uh, uh, time if you don't get control of that that just escalates that propagates across everything that you do and then the more people you have to unpick the more personalities you have to unpick it then is just escalates uh, that that problem you know, tenfold. Yes. Yes. It makes me think of, um, I think product ops is a lot of like solving communication problems within organizations. And there's that, you know, graphic that's like the communication overhead grows like exponentially as you like increase number of nodes. And like at some point, yeah, you just, you just need someone to add that extra context or kind of you know whatever about what the whole team's doing um okay bill's got a question i'm gonna bring bill up on stage and let bill ask that 
thanks so much. Um, yeah, what you just mentioned, Graham, especially about uh, standing products op out at the right time really resonates with me. Um, that's what I was brought into product ops for. It was pretty amazing realizing, oh my gosh, I've been doing product ops for the past 10 years. I didn't even know it. Uh, I've always been a project manager, very often a scrum master. And usually the first thing I try to do is say, I don't want to be a scrum master. I'll be a scrum coach. So that's kind of my question. There is that element of the scrum coach side of product ops. I'm just curious about, um, what you've done as a part of standing up product ops around the scrum coach and supporting the engineering team and helping them understand how to work well, but without trying to solve engineering problems because engineers should be solving engineering problems. Yeah. Um, and look, it's, there's no, there is, there is kind of some, some, guidance you can have but you know what look the, you know above everything else it's the the product operations role is a problem solving role it's it's an enabling role so that we we never should be taking on problems permanently we might take them on temporarily to help fix them and and, and support people in the jam and things like that but we're much more an enabling role to enable others to do their best work as possible and reduce those 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 barriers reduce those bottlenecks and things like that and that's the same not just in product it's the same in engineering. What can we do to reduce the bottlenecks that don't touch into what uh, DevOps type roles, you know, start to do? Uh, you know, DevOps has been around for a lot, lot longer, uh, very well established. Um, Scrum mastery, Scrum coaching, absolutely. Agile coaching, absolutely. You know, they all absolutely have their place very much on the engineering side to help support that engineering practice. Um, product tops is and and sometimes can actually legitimately be termed technical operations is much more about how do we analyze what the problems are rather than being a, somebody that smooths an existing complicated and complex process like engineer and like in, for engineers what we're looking at in, in product ops is what are the problems that already exist what are the problems that have manifested over a period of time uh, and how do we solve them that might not just be product, that might be in engineers, in engineering as well, quite often around communication, communication with the product teams, communication with the wider business. Some businesses, you know, will adopt a, a process where, like, like Cobalt, you know, everybody has an equal voice and is right, they should be. Engineers should be able to go and show off their work. Fantastic. Um, at the same time, you will have uh companies that are like yeah do you know what engineers shouldn't be let anywhere near the rest of the business because you know they they can't communicate well and things like that and look you know what well, that's that's perfectly fine and up to them but how do but there are still needs for product you know that operational type role to help unblock uh help smooth over help put processes in place that allow that interaction that communication that collaboration to happen it doesn't um over, override and, and 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 tread on toes of those agile coaches and 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 scrum masters they work hand in hand because they they've got a different focus those people those scrum masters are really focused on the 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 detail the product itself whereas what we're focused on is the mm -hmm. is the product function more the people more how product and tech works rather than focusing down on the thing that we're producing does that make sense? It totally does. That actually helps me. I'm, I'm looking for language to use in the conversations I'm having because there's a lot of like, we need you to solve these problems in uh, the Scrum team's velocity, in the productivity of engineering, in et cetera, et cetera. And oh, oh, hey, by the way, we've got all these other problems, which are very much product ops problems to solve. So I'm looking for words and language and ideas to say like, no, why don't the right people solve those problems? And I'm ready to help. Uh, how does that intersect with um, product ops? That kind of thing. So thanks. That's perfect. You're welcome. Yes. Yeah, that's great. I can see a lot of companies having a, a lot of companies thinking that the two overlapped because, you know, a lot of times people think of Eng as like, you know, driving a lot of product stuff. So I can see them. I can see the conflation of the two kind of sets of problems happening a lot. Um, and by the way, that 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 scaling inflection point is where that really becomes critical too. That's right where we're at. We're 30 people mm -hmm. to 200 people within the next six months is the plan if everything gets signed properly. Uh, and yeah, trying to get everything set up before that happens. <laughs> I don't have time to do everything. Mm -hmm. I can only do the product ops part. So yeah. 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 Okay, I'm going to bring on Josh for one last question. And I think we're going to call it after that. Josh, if you want to 
Let me try and pull you up here if you're open to it. Um, and you can ask that. And I think Josh has said he can't do audio video, video today. I'll get no worries. I think it's likely this question that you had dropped here in chat. So I can ask it for you. Do you utilize the jobs to be done theory and or business model canvas in your product development and strategy processes? And if so, how do you effectively integrate these frameworks uh, to create value for your customers and drive the success of your product? Well, um, do, do we utilize uh, either of those frameworks? Uh, no, to be honest. Um, mm. Hands on the table. I, I, I very rarely use any particular uh, you know, frameworks, uh, you know, in that, in that sense to, you know, for product operations, um, in terms of what we do in, um, in the product teams themselves, um, we are deriving value through, uh, in part rice, uh, you know, very simple metrics. I, I don't tend to look at a particular framework and say, that's the framework I'm going to go and I'm going to go and use and I'm going to go and, uh, you know, follow religiously. You know, I look for what is going to enable our teams. And most of the teams that I work with, you know, are, are smaller teams. You know, they are kind of 20, 30, 40 people. We're not, I'm not, I'm not used to working kind of at the 200 kind of uh, sale of product, uh, scale of product teams and things like that, where, much more rigid, much more proven frameworks are, you know, are, are used. You know, I look to, you know, just understand and derive value. And I derive value from, you know, what is it the company is is, is specifically selling? Um, how do we then, sorry, and then there was a part of that question. I'm just going to scroll back up a little bit. Yeah, that's good. Here, I can put it back up on the here as well. So how do we how, how do we effectively integrate the or a framework into you know into what we do? Uh, how do we create value for our customers? So, you know, we 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 analyze what those requirements are. Uh, you know, with doing usually you know, product management one hundred and one stuff. You know, how is it? Uh, what are those what are those customers looking for? How does it add value to what we are going to do? And again, up against the resources that we that we have, you know, are these sorts of size and, and scale of teams, we have limited resources available to us. Um, we have to pick what's going to take the company forward uh, the most efficiently, uh, uh, as quick as possible uh, to realize that next step in, you know, in revenue that we're going to get into, you know, for the purpose of our investors uh, 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 and the, the you know the business security as a whole, um, and couple that with what we're doing you know in the marketplace as well. Quite fortunate that Cobalt is market leader in what we do in terms of pen testing as a service. We are number one in the world for what we do. So we are actually able to um, we're actually able to drive that marketplace. We're actually able to dictate what that marketplace is looking like and what it's going to do next. Uh, and we're working on some really exciting things at the moment to to do that. All of this comes back through, you know, proper analysis, uh, you know, a lot of market research that our, our, our um, uh, product marketing team, you know, are working on, uh, you know, consistently working on as well to help us understand, uh, you know, the potential value of what, what it is we're, we're doing. Um, I know that probably wasn't the, you know, best answer or, or answer that you were looking for uh, there, but um, certainly the best I can give you today. Oh, good. If nothing else, I'd say I feel like the jobs to be done framework, it's a good it's like a good mental model and a good like focusing heuristic to really help you just kind of stay on track with like, what's the, like, what's the job we're trying to solve here? Um, like a lot of times, especially young startups, um, you have to like nail a single job and like a single problem um, and like catch fire there before you start to expand into other things. Um, and so I think, especially as a startup, keeping that singular focus on like, Hey, you know, we're starting this company around this this job, this problem. Like, let's stay focused on it until we're until we're nailing it. Um, and I think, I think I think the, the and I'm obviously conscious of time, but the thing I think the piece I'd leave you on with that as well is, you know, we particularly in the startup and scale up world, as as new businesses, uh, you know, quite often people have been there and done that. They've they've been a part of other businesses. They've been employees and things like that. They've seen they were they were listened to. Uh, you know, the, 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 and, and watch unicorns grow and things like that and what they have done. And we very wrapped up in this is the way to do things. 
Okay. Um, and this was actually a real concern that I had, um, which was a reason I started a, a product operations community to really help bottom out and define what the role is. And we've actually got some, some assets that's going to be um, released in the next month uh, on all of this. Um, in being wrapped up on what it is, it is we, we should be doing um, and how, how does everybody else do it? So a classic example was the Spotify model. You know, this way that uh, Spotify set up its teams uh, was supposed to set up its teams. And everybody, you know, absolutely loved it because it was Spotify. They were making billions. They were the household name. And it came out of Spotify. didn't even do it themselves. It completely failed. And they, they do something else. But people were so ingrained in saying, oh, it, it's Spotify doing it. We've got to do what they do. We've got to align ourselves to this big name, this big brand that's doing something different um, because then we can say we're doing this. And it's complete rubbish. It really is. And this is a this is a similar concern with product operations as well, is that we need to not be so wrapped up in following a way of doing something. We need to be focused on what works. And I think Josh has kind of said this as well, is we need to focus on what our teams are capable of doing and what works best for them. Nobody does agile exactly the same. Nobody does Agile as the manifesto or, and all the millions of books that have been written about it. Exactly. Um, everybody takes what they like. Everybody takes what works for them and their business and their industry. And that's it. So everybody works differently. So there is absolutely nothing wrong with even finding your own, mixing and matching different scoring frameworks and working frameworks and parts of Agile. You've got to do what works for you. Don't, for whatever you do, do not just listen to the gurus on LinkedIn and places like that and say, if we're not doing that, then we're failing. You have to figure it out for yourselves. Learn what you can and experiment and find out what works best for you. And it's exactly the same in product operations. There is no way, one way of doing it. There never will be. Um, but what we are doing, and this is part of the project that I'm working on, is defining what are those core strategic pillars of what it is. Communication and collaboration, enabling teams, problem solving, uh, data analytics, enabling and, supp and, and supporting data analytics for teams, and a few other bits and pieces as well. Those are the kind of four, five, six key pillars of what it is we yep. do. It's not to say that we do all of them. Uh, and, and you will not do all of them. But there are also, importantly, and I'll leave you on this, there are importantly some things that the role is not. It is not a triage space. It is not a bug bug finding place. It is not a place to support. It's not a place to just do demos for staff, for customers. It is not a place to do sales. It's not a place to do marketing. You might support all of those functions, but it's not a job to do that and we will see time and time again people in product operations saying it's not a dumping ground for all the processes that people don't want to do it's not that yes. it is a very well-defined uh, becoming a well-defined role that adds real benefit love that okay cool uh, way over time. So just want to say thanks to you for doing this. This is maybe my favorite AMA we've done. I got so much out of this. Um, so thanks so much. Um, as a reminder, so these uh, AMAs are put on by the Lunch Awesome community. Uh, if you want to apply to join, there's a link right there in chat. Um, where can we, how can we help you? Where can we find you online? You'd mentioned kind of starting up some uh, product ops community related stuff yourself. Where can we find that? So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm part of the Launch Awesome um, uh, Slack group. So anybody wants to chat with me about anything we've spoken today or anything at all, I'm, I'm, I'm available on there. Um, the product, uh, the, the product update, what, what, we call, what we call the Day Zero project is um, a, a small community at the moment that we are going to be launching a new website with lots of resources for product operations people. And when that's launched, I invite you to all take a look at it. I'll post it in the Launch Awesome Slack piece. It's not. It's going to be a, a piece that's for all product operations people all around the world. Uh, absolutely, we invite you to comment, to critique, criti to criticise, to talk to us about, uh, and to to make our product operations community globally one voice that all says this is exactly what it is and what we should be doing. Outside of that, LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn as well. So if you want to connect with me, you know, find me on LinkedIn. I'm see if you can make make me available as well on on, on LinkedIn. Uh, and you know. I'm 
absolutely happy to talk to anybody about anything on product operations or product management at any point. Just reach out to me. Awesome. Love it. All right. Well, thanks to everyone who uh, gutted it out here an hour and 10 minutes in. Uh, you guys, you guys are real ones. So thanks for coming already. And with that, we'll say see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Yep. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Launch Notes podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take 10 seconds to leave us a five-star review. Your review helps new people find the show. More importantly, it lets us know which episodes you've enjoyed the most so we can continue to find amazing guests and topics you'll love. Even if you don't typically leave podcast reviews, it would mean a ton to us if you did. We're pumped when we get new reviews. I personally read every review. I'm always sharing them with the rest of the Launch Notes team. So thank you in advance and see you next time.